Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. My name is David Canfield, and uh, we are broadcasting live on June 18th, 2022. Uh, we'll be with you for the next hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And uh, we'd love to hear from you um, and, uh, and just get your thoughts about the program if you have any questions about the Christian life in general. So we've been talking about, uh, and it's taking me a little bit to get set up here. Sorry for that. We're a little bit late, actually. So uh, in this program, we've been talking about uh, the matter of transformation recently. And uh, in the last program, we, we went over six basic steps that we go through uh, to enter fully into the salvation that God has for us in Christ. And those steps, just as we said, they're justification, regeneration, sanctification, transformation, glorification, and confirmation. So uh, we're going to spend a little more time still on the matter of transformation. But before we do, I, I want to go back and say a little bit about the matter of justification. For, for one thing, we, we it was it's not easy to go through all those six steps. I thought that was maybe a little bit too much to do in one program. But also, uh, I said something regarding the matter of justification that uh, it wasn't wrong, but it was incomplete. And it could give you a wrong impression about uh, uh, how justification works. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have this wrong impression about how justification works. And it's a real frustration. Uh, it can be a real frustration to our Christian life. So again, uh, basically, what justification is, it means that uh, we, are the, we have a debt of sin before God. Every human being, we're all sinners. Uh, the wages of sin is death. That means we've earned something from God. We've earned God's judgment. We have a judgment, uh, a debt of sin that we can't pay. We can't pay that debt. So, God uh, is a righteous and holy God, and a lot of people don't understand this. They they feel God can just forget forget our sins. It's no big deal. He cannot do that. He cannot deny his nature. So uh, he has to punish our sins, but because he loves us, he didn't want to punish us directly, so he punished our sins in Christ. He put the, our sins upon Christ on the cross, uh, and he paid our debt of sin on the cross, and that payment is called redemption. So now when we come to Christ and we say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Uh, I'm a sinner and I, I, I want my sins forgiven. Forgive my sins because I believe you paid my debt of sins. When we do that, God says, okay, I'm going to take the payment that Christ made on the cross, the redemptive payment that he made, and I'm going to apply that to your debt of sin. And your debt of sin is going to be wiped away. Praise the Lord. This is just a, a wonderful fact. Uh, for anyone who comes to Christ by faith, their sins are wiped away. That payment that he made on the cross is applied to our debt of sins and we're forgiven. We're, that's, that's what it means to be justified. It means God now considers us just and righteous before him. So, uh, and a good way to remember that, as we said, is, and as others have said, it's justified, never sinned. The sins are taken away. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's like a, if, if a rich man uh, you had a, a big debt and uh, somebody was coming after you for it and then a rich man says, no, I'm going to pay that debt. And he gave the check to whoever's coming after you for that. Then that person has no more claim against you because the debt's been fully paid. 
And, it, and it, that's exactly uh, what happens when we believe in Christ. Our debt of sin is fully paid, so our, uh, our sins have no more claim against us. God's holy law has no more claim against us because it's been satisfied by Christ. But the question is, how does that payment get, played, get paid, uh, applied to our account? Because a lot of Christians think uh, God uh, makes that payment to my account, and so now I become... A righteous person, and, and even in, in speaking of it, it's hard kind of hard not to, to express it that way. Um, but what really happens is God makes that payment to our account by bringing us into Christ, and this is a very crucial difference. It, may, it seems like it's a little subtle, but it's very crucial to understand this. We do not become righteous in ourselves, and this is a frustration a lot of Christians have. They're, the feeling is, I'm covered by the blood of Christ, and so now I'm a righteous person. And I'm going to live a righteous life. That's not what happens through the redemption of Christ. Instead, God brings us into Christ. And Christ himself becomes our righteousness. We are only righteous before God in Christ. We have no righteousness apart from Christ. We should never think that we do. Because if we think that we do, then our concept is, uh, I have to live a righteous life now. Uh, I have to be... uh, I'm covered by the blood, so I'm living a righteous life day by day. That's not what God wants from us. He wants us to live as a person who is in Christ, who has Christ himself as his righteousness. So God does not make us righteous apart from Christ. He does not give us his righteousness. He gives us Christ himself as our righteousness by bringing us into Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. We are not redeemed apart from Christ. It's only in him that we have redemption. I really love 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 30. Of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So again, the crucial point to see here is that Christ himself is our righteousness, God is not expecting us to be righteous apart from Christ. He wants to bring us into Christ and uh, as our righteousness, to really experience Christ as our righteousness. And I can never forget, you know, the first time I really saw this verse, uh, I've been saved less than a year, I know that. Uh, and I believe I was reading a book by Watchman Nee. I don't remember what book it was, but he, he touched on this verse and this fact that Christ himself is our righteousness. And I really saw that. And I just I just had a sense of how holy I was. Uh, I was like, I was impossible to even think about sin because I was so holy, because I was a person who was in Christ at that moment. Uh, I just, uh, when you have that deep sense, you just have a sense of God's holiness and you realize I'm a person in Christ now. Uh, I'm just outside the realm of sin. Uh, anything to do with sin, as long as I'm in Christ, the sin is no problem. It's completely dealt with. And so that's why it's so important to have this proper um, understanding of how justification works. And probably, frankly, it's it's really uh, worthy of, a, of an entire program to get into this because uh, the wrong concept that Christians have about this matter frustrates so many. And after I, I shared about justification last week, I felt uh, in that respect it wasn't that helpful because it might have reinforced that wrong concept. So I wanted to try to, to correct that today. But but um, as I say, we may come back and, and, and do a full program on this later because it's such a basic, crucial matter for our going on in the Christian life. And I will say practically, um, it was a, realizing this more recently has been a big help to me in terms of how I come to God. Because if you think you're a righteous person, 
because you're covered by the blood and therefore you can come to God. I, whenever you come to God, you're going to have a sense there's a, something's not right. But when you realize I'm righteous because I'm in Christ and I can come to God as a person who's in Christ, then your coming to God is so pleasing to him because you're bringing Christ to him. You're not trying to bring your righteous self to him. You're bringing Christ to, to God as your righteousness. Uh, it's an interesting study to do. If you look up the word pleasure, or some versions use the word delight in the New Testament, always, almost every single time that's used, it's used has some uh, relationship with Christ. Like in Matthew chapter 3, I'm not sure the reference, it says uh, Jesus comes up from the baptism and God from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased or in whom I have found my delight. God just likes Christ. He's just so happy with Christ and he's so happy when we come to him in Christ, not based on our own righteousness. So like I said, that's that's really worthy of a, a whole uh, whole other program uh, on its own. We'll, we'll come back to this probably at, at, in, in the future. But uh, for now, as, a, as I said, we're, we're continuing on this matter of transformation. And I think, you know, as we uh, considered this last week uh, with Brother Rex, we just had a sense of this process of transformation is so something so precious. You know, religion is always trying to improve us. And we, we, by our very nature, we have this religious thought that uh, we need to live a good life. We need to uh, avoid sin. We need to be righteous and, and behave in a certain way. Well, you can't say that's bad. You know, it's better than being evil, right? But, but God's thought in the New Testament is something way beyond that. It's, it's, it's something completely outside the realm of religion. What God wants is to impart himself into our being to transform us into the image of Christ. And so, as we said, these six items that were uh, are the basic steps of salvation. The two that we experience today are sanctification and transformation. Sanctification is on the negative side. It's not. It doesn't mean that it's bad, but it means it's taking things away. Everything that would, either the sinful things or the common things, everything that would frustrate us from fellowshipping with God and separating us unto God himself, that's sanctification. But transformation is the positive side. That's when the divine element is being par imparted into our being. And you just have a sense when that happens. It's something so precious. It's something so uh, wonderful that uh, even a fallen sinner like me could go through this process to become a child of God and a son of God. It's just it's beyond anything we could ever, ever express. Praise the Lord for that. And so we considered some of the some of the examples that we see of transformation. Of course, last time we spent uh, some time talking about Peter, because um, he's the best example in the New Testament of this matter of transformation. And later on uh, in the program, in the last segment, we're going to be talking about Jacob with Brother Mark in in Goshen, because in in the Old Testament he's the best example of transformation that we see. Uh, but we see some other examples too, some from nature and some in the Bible. And, and we talked about those, and they really do a wonderful job of illustrating this. And I mentioned last week I, I had gotten this uh, piece of petrified wood from my brother, and that is so impressive when you when you see a piece of petrified wood. And I didn't realize it because sometimes a little slow. I'm a little slow on the uptake. Uh, but in in the New Testament, you know, when Jesus says to Peter, uh, he says to Simon, uh, uh, I'm going to call you Peter. Uh, and on this rock, I will build my church. It's the same word uh, in Greek. In Greek, it's, he says, it's the word is Petros. It's the name, it mean, means a stone. 
So that's where the word Petra in petrified comes from. So basically, you could say it's stone wood. It's petrified wood. It's wood that's been turned into a stone. And how that happens is a piece of wood gets put into somehow in the ground. It has to be the right circumstances. It's in the ground. Uh, as I understand it, it's, it's, it's buried. And, uh, but there has to be a lot of moisture. There has to be water flowing through this wood. And then over a long period of time, the minerals that are in the water get imparted into the wood. And, and the wood is transformed. It just becomes something so solid now. Uh, like I say, it's a, it's a piece of stone wood. And, uh, you know, before, wood that, if it wood doesn't go through this process, it just becomes something corruptible. It rots and it's gone in a few years. But a, a piece of petrified wood isn't going to last basically forever, right? Uh, it's so heavy and so solid because the minerals have gotten into this piece of wood and made it something so solid. And so it's just a marvelous picture of transformation. In the Bible, uh, the divine nature is likened to gold, as in the, it's really interesting, in, in the uh, uh, tabernacle, the, the, the tabernacle, the boards were made of wood, but they're overlaid with the gold. And that's just exactly a picture of transformation. And, uh, and, and so it's just exactly like petrified wood. The minerals that are in the water get imparted into the wood and make it something so solid. And, and so heavy. So it's just a, a wonderful picture of transformation. Even the fact that the wood has to be buried. We only experience transformation to the extent that we're buried with Christ. That's Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 4. If we have grown together with him in the likeness of his death, we will grow together also with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Uh, so that, that petrified wood is just a marvelous example of the process of transformation. Uh, and in, in the Bible, uh, speaking of the gold, uh, at the very end of the Bible, we see almost the ultimate picture of transformation, which is the golden reed. And that's in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 21, verses 15 through 17, uh, where it says um, the angel is uh, showing John the new Jerusalem. And uh, John writes, he says, He who talked with me had a gold, golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city was laid out square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. And he measured the wall. So he measures a city. Everything in the city has to be according to the standard of the golden reed. Well, again, this is just a wonderful picture of transformation because a reed, that, that signifies our humanity, right? It says Jesus wouldn't, uh, when he was healing the people, it says a bruised reed he would not break. Even we're the, we're the bruised reeds. We're not just reeds. We're bruised reeds. But it says uh, Jesus wouldn't break uh, a bruised reed. So we're, that's who we are. The gold is the divine nature. But at the very end, the gold has permeated the reed and made it something so solid uh, and so precious. That's transformation. That's a wonderful picture in the Bible of transformation. Uh, and again, everything in the New Jerusalem has to be according to the standard of God's transforming work to transform and uplift us. That's what uh, God is really after ultimately is the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem has to meet the standard of God's transforming work. But that's what the fact that it's being measured by the golden reed indicates. And of course, we also mentioned the example of the caterpillar. That's just another wonderful example in nature of transformation. That uh, this caterpillar, you could never teach a caterpillar to fly. It just Whatever you try, it's just not going to work. But if it goes into the cocoon, it be, uh, goes through the stage of the chrysalis, and it comes out a butterfly, it's just spontaneous for this this butterfly to fly. That's all it does. You know, and, and very often in our Christian life, is it's like we're, we're trying to live the Christian life like a caterpillar trying to fly. It just doesn't work. 
But if we go through the process of transformation, then spontaneously we're able to live the kind of life we're supposed to live as Christians. And that's that's what uh, God is really after. Uh, um, uh, This transforming work uh, that brings us into, fully into the image of Christ. So then we can really live the Christian life that we're supposed to live. Praise the Lord. Um, so maybe that's enough uh, for this segment, and uh, we'll go on in, in this, this next segment and talk a little bit more about uh, transformation and uh, uh, how, it, how it really applies in our, in our, in our experience. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life, and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the ChristianFaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. So welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And so I just wanted to spend a little more time on this, the word itself, transformation, uh, because uh, it really brings out... uh, What's happening to us as Christians, uh, and as we as we said, the the word uh, transformation, uh, the Greek word, is used four times in the New Testament, and it's uh, and, and I'll, I, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's metamorpho, metamorpho. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. It's used four times, tri- twice in relation to Christ Himself in the Gospels when He was transformed on the mountain, and twice in relation Paul uses it to the believers. Once in Romans. 12, chapter 2, and in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Uh, and this word, uh, it's a, two parts. It has a root, uh, it has a, a prefix, rather, which is meta, and then the uh, root word is morpheo. And the key is to understand this root word. Uh, and Vincent, who is uh, quite an authority in the Greek, he says it this way. Uh, well, he, he indicates that uh, it indicates, it, it denotes the form as regarded, regarded as the distinctive nature and character of the object. So sometimes in uh, English, when we say form, we're looking at we think of something outward. But in Greek, according to Vincent, he says it it has to do with the distinctive nature and character of the object. It's not just something outward. It's what makes that thing what it is, the nature of that object. Uh, and Vine is another authority, and he has a very good statement about this word morpheo. Uh, under uh, in his dictionary, it's under the word form. He has this. Uh, he says this. Uh, Morpheo denotes the special or characteristic former feature of a person or thing. Uh, it is used with particular significance in the New Testament only of Christ, 
Now, he's speaking of the word morpheo on its own, not as part of the word transformed, but it, it, is, part, uh, it, it is part of that word. So to understand what uh, transformation is, we need to look at this root word, morpheo. So it's, this root word is only used in relation to Christ, and that's in that passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Christ existed in the form of God. He existed in the morpheo of God. Verse 6. And in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form, the morpheo, of a bondservant. So he really was God, and he really became a bondservant. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And then Vine goes on. An excellent definition of the word uh, is uh, from Gifford. A man, he quotes this other teacher, Gifford. Morpheo is therefore properly the nature or essence, not in the abstract, but is actually subsisting in the individual and retained as long as the individual itself, itself exists. Thus, in the passage before us, that's in Philippians 2, Morpheo Theo, the form of God, is the divine nature uh, actually and inseparably subsisting in the person of Christ. So, uh, this form, is this morpheo, is the real nature of Christ, and it's a part of this word. It's transformed. means we are being, when you say that, we are being transformed. It means we are taking on the very image, uh, the very form of Christ. Uh, it, you know, what's striking is that, uh, uh, as, as Vine points out, this word is used in the New Testament only of Christ, the form of uh, of Christ. Uh, the, only, the other place it's used is in Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 16, verse 12, where it says he appeared in another form to two of the, uh, two of the believers as they are walking into another country after the resurrection. So that word is only used as a noun in relation to Christ. But, uh, but it is used one other place as a verb, and this is quite significant. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, where the apostle Paul says, He's talking to the Galatian, and Ble Galatian believers, and he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Did you get that statement? The, he says, I am again in labor for you until Christ is formed in you. What's Paul saying here? He, his burden uh, was that the very nature, the form of Christ, the morpheo of Christ would be imparted into the believers. That was his struggle. He was laboring. He says, I'm travailing and laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The very nature of Christ is imparted into your being. And actually, when you look at, you can see in, 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 in the other places too, in these, these little letters in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you just see it's, it's very consistent. This is really what the apostles' burden was. Uh, in Colossians, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, I won't read the whole section, but he says, I'm suffering. I'm suffering on behalf of the body of Christ, basically is what he's saying. Because there's a mystery that's been hidden in verse 26. He says, but now it's been manifested to the saints. And then in verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he goes on, we proclaim him and not admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom so that we may present every man full grown in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily in me. Why was he struggling? Because he wanted Christ formed in the believers. 
as he said in Galatians, because he wanted uh, to present every man full grown in Christ. That was the apostle's struggle. It should be our burden too. Uh, in Ephesians, he says, uh, Ephesians, this is uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Now, I bow my knees to the Father, uh, he starts, and uh, that he would grant you. And I want you to be strengthened with might through his spirit into the inner man. And then why? 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 What is his burden here in Ephesians? He says, verse 17, uh, chapter Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. That's the whole focus of the apostle's burden. He wants Christ formed. He wants the morpheo of Christ imparted into the believers. That's what, that's what the apostle Paul is really after. And as his followers, as his, uh, the Lord's followers, and as those who are serving according to the apostle's burden, that should be our desire too, to see Christ wrought into the believers. And as we keep stressing, this is such a precious experience. This is something completely outside the realm of religion. Uh, religion could never do this, but when we have Christ wrought into our being, we simply spontaneously become another being, another kind of person. We're still us. It's still us, and, but now Christ is living in us. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, Christ gave himself up for us. We need to have, in response, we should have a deep sense. I need to give myself up for Christ to let him live through me. Right? I think I had the right reference on that. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Of course, a very famous verse in the New Testament. But Paul wants Christ living in us. It's actually, it's interesting. When you look at the, uh, there's a progression in Galatians. Um, in Galatians chapter 1, um, Paul says, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Well, as the believers in Christ We've had Christ revealed in us. I've, I've had Christ revealed in me. When I believed in the Lord, Christ was revealed in me. Praise the Lord. That's the first step. In, in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle goes on. That's the verse we just quoted. He has Christ, we, we need to have Christ living in us. That's something more. He's not just revealed in us, but now he's living in us. That's Galatians 2.20. Then in chapter 4, the verse we, we quoted just before, 4.19, we should have Christ formed in us. So first he's revealed in us, then he's living in us, but something more solid, more substantial in chapter 4, he's formed in us. That's a real progression. Finally, ultimately, almost in the last verse in the book of Galatians, it says, uh, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And that's the goal of Galatians, is this new creation. And people say, uh, Galatians is a book about to show us that we're not under law, but that's only on the negative side. That's a, that's a very shallow view of the book of Galatians. There's something so positive going on in Galatians too, which is by the, the transforming work of the Spirit, Christ is being formed in our being so that eventually together we become the new creation. That's what Galatians is really all about. And, and so we need to have this kind of an uplifted concept uh, of our Christian life. And that's why we're burdened for this. The Apostle Paul was burdened for this, and we want to follow the Apostle's burden. Um, to uh, realize as believers in Christ, we need to be those who are being transformed day by day so we can be prepared to meet the Lord when he comes back. Praise the Lord. So, uh, I, I, that's, uh, I guess, is enough for, for this segment. In the next section, we're going to bring on uh, our brother Mark from Goshen and go back and consider uh, another example 
from the Old Testament about what transformation is. And of course, that uh, will be uh, a consideration of the life of Jacob, which is really, really something precious. And so many lessons for that, us in that as believers to consider. So we'll be back in just a minute uh, to consider the life of Jacob with Brother Mark. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life, and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And uh, I believe we have Brother Mark from Goshen on the line with us now. Mark, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, great. Okay, yeah, you sound great, actually. Good, okay. <laughs> and uh, one of these days I'm going to figure out how this board works. Uh, and again, thank you so much yeah. to the tech for his help. I'm never quite sure I have it right, so I really have to do better than that. That's uh, i got to get that figured out so we're a little more smooth in our uh, transition here. So, um, uh, Mark, good to have you on the program again. This is actually the second time yep. uh, we've had you. You were on the first program, so you're welcome, welcome back. And, uh, of course, we're, we've been continuing, and uh, I think you were listening, Mark, uh, on the phone there to, to talk about transformation. Uh, and as I said, in this section, we're going to be talking about uh, Jacob. And, you know, you and I were talking about this yesterday, and, and you pointed something out to me I hadn't really considered before. It kind of relates to you guys there in Goshen about Jacob, and uh, I thought maybe you could just say a little bit about that. I don't know if you want to say a little bit about your own uh, testimony, Mark, but uh, I thought that was an interesting point you made. Well, the point I made to you yesterday, Dave, is that um, Jacob, who I'm about to talk about, died in Goshen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, The community I live in is in Goshen, Indiana. Any of my listeners, we are just slightly outside of your AM uh, broadcast range here in Goshen, people in South Bend, which is just a little west of us, can pick you up. But Goshen's about 35,000, 40,000 people, small town, a wonderful town, but it was definitely named by people with an understanding of the story of the Jews in the Bible. Mm. And when they were in Egypt, they were in a subdivision called Goshen, and God protected them through all those plagues. A lot of the things that didn't happen to them, they had a really a sanctuary. So I always have loved the fact that here I live in this little town named Goshen. And it's a beautiful little town. You should all come and visit it. I'm a, I feel like I'm a great booster for our community. <laughs> well, I can second that. It, 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 when I come over to visit you guys, it's just a delightful little downtown area. 
That's really precious. You know, yeah, I, I, in, I, uh, in Exodus, I know there's a, I don't know the reference offhand, but uh, it's interesting. It says, uh, I'll, in some translations, it says, I'll make a distinction between you and uh, the Israelites. He's talking to the uh, Pharaoh, I think it is. But the word there literally is redemption in one of the places, at least. I'll put a redemption yeah. between you and the Israelites. It's quite interesting because we talked about that a little bit this morning. But You know, we're going to... Yeah, We're going to talk about transformation, but you talked a little bit about sanctification, and I know yeah. a couple of weeks ago you did with Joe, Joe Pope, and in a way, Goshen in the story in the Bible is kind of a picture of that, mm. I think, because it was a separation. Yeah. And um, one of the one of the ways to look at sanctification, this fancy Latin word, with one of those six shuns that many believers shun because they <laughs> sound academic and scary, one of the definitions I heard once is it's to be made um, not common. Hmm. And uh, so Egypt, where the children of Israel were generally living, was common. It was a worldly place, but they had a special place, Goshen. So in a way, it's like that's how we as believers, when we're sanctified, we're kind of separated, Hmm. and um, we all go to Goshen. So that's why I think all your (laughs) listeners should come to Goshen and visit very good. Come on a first Friday of a month. We have something called oh. First Fridays, and it's a downtown celebration. It's a little bit of a taste of Goshen hmm. Festival with some music, and it's really nice. It's a beautiful uh, Main Street courthouse. It's a county seat. I really am a booster, as you can okay. hear. Yeah, that's right. not why I'm here to talk today. But it... They stopped that for during the virus, right? They started that up again, that first Friday? Yes, it's back. But they, they stopped it, and now it's back. Okay. All right, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we we're, we did want to cover the matter of, of transformation, in particular the life of, of Jacob, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, because Peter in the old, in the New Testament is just the really the outstanding example of transformation, but in the Old Testament, that's Jacob. And, I, and you know, one of the first books I ever read, and I think the first book I ever read as a Christian uh, was Watchman Nee's book on uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, called "Changed into His Likeness," and that really opened up the Bible to me, like I'd never had it opened up before to see how you can really learn lessons uh, from the experiences of those who've gone before. And Watchman Nee, uh, his, his view is Abraham signifies the life of faith. Isaac is the life of grace, really, of just receiving all of God's blessings. And, but Jacob is the life of the believer under God's transforming work. And it's really quite, mm-hmm. quite precious. And, uh, okay, if you, you put a plug-in for Goshen, I'll put a plug-in for... Uh, my website and the, the note we sent out this morning kind of touched a little bit on the matter of uh, Jacob. And uh, I was mm-hmm. uh, referring to John Darby's writings on Jacob, which if you if you have Darby's synopsis, they're very touching in uh, on Genesis 27 and 28 about how God deals with Jacob. And uh, um, but it's a life, uh, a life of uh, suffering. It really it's not an easy life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but through this process, Jacob experienced in the Old Testament something of God's transforming work. And Mark, I know you've been really looking at this, and uh, so I, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a chance just to, if you have, what, what your burden is to really share yeah. about, well, about well, you, Jacob. Well, you ahead. spoke yeah. of Peter. Peter and Jacob are really, in a sense, the two the Old Testament and New Testament greatest examples, yeah. and both of them had a name change. Right. And you've pointed that out. Peter went from Simon to um, Cephas or Peter is the Greek. One of the Greek ones, Roman. I always forget. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, when you talk about petrified wood, you could call it petrified wood. And we all need to be petrified because that's mm-hmm. really what transformation is. So he's a great New Testament example. Well, Jacob also had a name change. 
And his hmm. was, is history shaking to this day. His name's changed in the story from Jacob to Israel. And Israel, if you get any globe and spin it to a certain spot, you can put your finger on a country called Israel, which hmm. has been the center wow. of wow. the news for many years, at least since 1947. And so this person in the Old Testament, this one guy whose story I'm about to kind of go over, he now has a place that has really been earth-changing. And um, his name is why Israel is called Israel. So, I, I, you know, there's an old saying, which I know your listeners and you are familiar with, which is this, a picture is worth a thousand words. And one way to look at the Old Testament of the Bible is a series of pictures. Uh, what you just explained in the, about the New Testament, about Paul's writing, a lot of that is you get into the Greek. And it was interesting, I listened last week, and Rex Beck was your guest, and he talked about the difference between, and these are big, hard, really tongue-twisting words, which you <laughs> even were a little worried about saying, yeah. saying but metamorpho, what did you say it was? Uh, I, I believe it's metamorpho. I think it's how Rex pronounced okay. it, yeah. And then he contrasted that with another meta, which was meta schematizo, something like that. Something like that. That's, that's, even, that's uh, even harder, yeah, right. Yeah, but the word hidden in that word, if you know, I taught high school English and I taught some college English, and I really love to tear apart words. And, and hidden in that big, long word is schema. And hidden in the, one, the previous one is morph. And a lot of, you know, people that do computer animation stuff, they know about morphing characters. You can do morphs, and mm. it's changing. It's real change, okay? But scheme is fake change, disguise change. It's like an actor who puts on a mask. He can change his look, and he can fool people. People do this. And Rex made that distinction. I really like that. So there is this matter. And, and you, so when you dig into the Greek roots and the, you dig into the Latin words, we get a, our English through Latin, it's helpful. But there's something about looking at a picture that's really revealing. And right. as a yeah, former English sure. teacher, I love stories. I taught literature, and the stories just linger with me to this day. That I taught ninth grade English for a number of years, and some of the stories I taught in 1975 are still in my head and come back to me. Just, I really love short stories. Well, Jacob's life is a kind of a short story, but to, to, in quite, I think— you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I think his story in the Bible is the longest bi bi bibli uh, biography of any character. Hmm. Hmm. There's more about Jacob and his life than there is about, I think, uh, I don't, I've heard this and I don't know for sure, but it's definitely long. It starts around chapter, what, 26? He's born, uh, I think. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And it ends in chapter 50. He, uh, it's a funeral like, un unlike any funeral you'll yeah. ever see. If you've ever been in a car waiting for all step, waiting to cross a highway and a funeral procession goes by, you're you're nodding and you're, you're it's it's uh you're you're happy to see people showing respect and you wait. But if the funeral procession lasted for say seventy days, that might get a little lengthy. But that is how long Jacob's funeral lasted in Egypt, at least the time of mourning. It's it's shocking. And this was among the Egyptians. This man, this one character who's an interesting character, and not a very religious character, in my view, because I think transformation isn't really religious. It's life. He had a change in life that affected the world. As I said, not only today, it's still impacting us, but he affected his, at his day, the Egyptians took the time. To, they sent all the dignitaries to his funeral. So 
Uh, he really is a picture of a transformed person. So his name starts out, I think a lot of people who've read the Bible have heard this. His name means a supplanter, Jacob, his first name, supplanter, or uh, could mean heel holder because he famously was a twin. Mm-hmm. And as he was exiting mama's womb, he was in second place. And it was a very big deal to be first place back then. The firstborn got all the, the double portion of blessing and so forth. And so Jacob, even as he's being born, is trying to get the first place. He wants to grab the heel of his brother who's coming out first and pull him back so he can be first. And uh, that didn't work. So Esau, the brother, the twin brother, who beats him by minutes in birth, maybe seconds, now gets all these wonderful gifts. It just seems unfair. And I even wonder sometimes, why did God let that happen? Well, I think he let it happen because Jacob's story would show transformation. So Jacob is born second, and it takes. he doesn't like that. So he tricks his brother later in life. His brother is a, an alpha male. I, I see Esau as an alpha male, and Jacob mm-hmm. is a beta male. And Jacob, it says he liked to be, live in the tents. He's around his mother. He was a mama's boy for sure. Right. She, she controlled a lot of what he did. And he liked to cook. And uh, he cooks twice. And he does it in a deceptive way. You know, food can be wonderful and it's nice to be hosted by someone. But be careful what you eat because Jacob twice deceived with food. Hmm. And the first time, and he lived up to his name. Because another way to, to say Jacob, it means supplanter. You could say deceiver. And if you really want to make it simple, and it's really English, call him trickster, because Jacob was born a trickster. And um, so he tricks Esau in a famous scene. He sells, Esau comes in hungry, and Jacob kicked, uh, says, I'll give you some stew if you sell me your birthright or give me your birthright. It's a trade. Uh, by the way, that's an important part of the Jacob story is this is a man who transacts. He makes transactions. So he makes this transaction with Esau. And... He, uh, Esau sells the birthright, and much to his later regret. And then there's another thing that Jacob wants. He doesn't just want the birthright. Now he wants his father to bless them, because that was very important, this blessing part. So if you know the story, he tricks his father. With his mother's help, his mother, who didn't really like Esau, in my opinion, but she definitely didn't like who he married. Esau married two local girls, and she, was, she didn't like the local girls. She wanted him, Jacob her favorite son, to go off to her homeland and marry, actually, to at least find a girl among her father's people. So that's what sent him on his journey. But um, she helped him do another tricky meal, and she tricked he tricked his father, put on goat skins on his arms to look hairy, because, as I said, Esau was hairy and alpha male type, and Jacob the beta male wasn't. He was smooth-skinned. This is from the Bible. This is how it's described. And his father is very skeptical. It's a great scene. If you haven't read it, all your listeners, if you haven't read it recently, just spend five minutes rereading that account. It's really, it, it's a, 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 I don't know if they've done a movie on this, but they should. Genesis, the uh, Genesis 20, 27. Can't see yeah. quite well. What, what's that? Genesis 27 is where the story is about Jacob deceiving yeah. his father. His yeah. dad can't see quite well in right. his old age. And uh, he says, uh, Jacob's, he says, well, the, he, Jacob walks in and has this, the, the furs on his arms so his dad can feel him. His dad's so skeptical. He says, you really Esau? Because Jacob's claiming to be the brother, and he wants to be blessed. And Jacob finally, at one point, he bald-faced lies. He says, yes, I am. 
I'm Esau. So this is the guy who's going to change the world. He's a liar. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's a lot of things. And um, so he, the dad gives the blessing against his better judgment, and uh, in the end, finds out what happens. And the whole, then the brother Esau's angry, really angry, vows to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees, and I think his mom helped him pack his knapsack. <laughs> so off he goes into the open country. And by the way, this isn't where he's familiar. This is Jake Esau. The brother likes the open country. He's a hunter. Jacob, as I said, hangs around the tents. So uh, he's already in un- he's already in unfamiliar terrain, and. Um, he he heads out that night in a famous scene, a scene that inspired the song that was played when the Titanic was sinking. And I think a lot of you will know that song, Nearer My God. Oh, yeah. Read that. You're right, yeah. Great right. song. Yeah. Read the lyrics. So here's Jacob. It says, the sun going down. That's in the song. My head, his, uh, his rest or his head on a stone. And I'm in the song. It's it's a very good song. It's a very deep but song. Anyway, actually, Jacob goes. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to sleep and has a dream. Now, dreams are fuzzy. Everybody dreams. They tell us, science tells us we dream every night, that rapid eye movement, part of sleep and all this. We don't remember most of them. This one wakes them up. And there's a ladder, famous ladder, which really some people translate a stairway. Maybe when the um, Led Zeppelin sang their Hmm. big song of the 70s, Stairway to Heaven. I don't know. Maybe they were inspired by that story. She's buying a stairway to heaven, yeah. but it wasn't a she. It was Jacob. He's next to a stairway or a ladder to heaven, and at the top of that, climbing up and down the ladder are angels. All this is deeply significant, and at the top of the ladder is God in the dream, and God talks to him. And here's I want to I want to read you what God says to him. He says, "I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants." and they're still there today. That's kind of amazing. That was where he was lying. Hmm. And today's Israel. That is an amazing prophecy. Your des- yeah, right. Really so. Yeah. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And that's an interesting phrase, the dust, because we think it means many. But on the other hand, as we know, during World War II, they were exterminated. Hmm. Six million of them. Half of the Jewish population of the earth was exterminated there in that time. And that's part of why they got the land back. That was a big driving factor, maybe more than part. So here they're described as dust, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north to the south, and then you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am—now, this, this is the money quote for today. All of it's money quote, but this is for today's topic. Behold, this is God talking, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So that's a big word from God. I will be with you every step of the way. This, to me, is the beginning of transformation. This, this, when God, when we recognize God is with us, we are on the path of transformation. And Jacob did. And so Jacob he woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord, this is a quote again, back to the Bible. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Yeah, and he was afraid word. and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And that, that, all of that is again, other topics are buried there. Deep, deep topics. This Bethel, he called it Bethel house of God is from, it is trans is from Bethel. Beth is house right. yeah. and L is God. 
So that's deep. But again, as far as the transformation goes, the following part I want to read, so a few more verses. So Jacob, he must have gone back to sleep. It's interesting. He he did this, he had this experience, (laughs) but he went back to sleep. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. Now, if you want to say transformation is religious, or I use the word religious. For me, it's a mostly negative word, I'll be honest. But if you want to say that, here's a little ritual he did. He took the stone, he tilted it up, he poured oil. I don't know why. Where did he get this idea to pour oil? Yeah, right. Really so. Is there any Dave? Is there anything you can think of prior to this moment in the Bible where they poured oil on anything for a kind of a rite? Offhand, I can't. No, that this might. Yeah, that might be the first first instance. I can't. I have to well, look. But I, offhand, I can't think of anything. No. Yeah, Adam and Eve did. Sac- they saw God sacrifice an animal. Right, they've been sacrificed as far as pouring out yeah. oil. I don't and think of anything. Yeah. Right, and Cain and Abel had a debate about, you know, the whole problem with Cain and Abel and the whole murder of Abel was because of the way they sacrificed, or offered, I should right. say. But, but so, so already Jacob's, he's unique. He is not, actually, if you could say that's a religious act to pour oil on it. What's in his head? I'm thinking, what is this in this man's head? He's on the run. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's scared. In fact, that kind of characterizes Jacob. He had a lot of fear in his life. And he's in the middle of nowhere. It has this dream. He saw, most, a lot of people would blow that dream off. He doesn't. He does this little memorial thing where he tilts that stone up. He really treats it respectfully and pours oil on it. And then, I'll keep reading back to the word now. He called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, and this is a, another money quote, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Notice he begins with if. Yeah, this it's is, all conditional. I love this. It's, it's almost <laughs> comical to me. Is, is it that transaction you, you talked about earlier? He's, 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 yes. he's making a deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so God has proffered his offer he said here's what i'll do and then jacob says <laughs> if right and you know all the christians i know every christian experience i have we have a little if in front of it god can speak to us and he, he can move in our life and do amazing things and still we are a little bit skeptical yeah. of our own experience even and we have this if but it doesn't matter because he's transacting he's making a deal with god so his end of the bargain, God said, I'll do this, and I'll bring you back here. And Jacob said, if you will. In other words, I, I, I'm not sure I believe this. Then you'll be my God. Then he says this, this stone which I have set up as a pillar, as the old preacher uh, trope goes, from pillow to pillar. Hmm. He says, we'll be God's house. Really? That's God's house? Some stone in the middle of nowhere? Obviously, he's... He sees it symbolically, and it is. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. said last week with Peter, Peter's a stone. And you know what Peter was told mm-hmm. to do right after that? Build God's house. That's what Jesus said. You are a stone, and upon this stone I will build my church. Amen. So it's all about God's house. And Very interesting to me. But anyway, um, he says, this stone I set up a pillar will be God's house, and, and all of all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. And this really makes me laugh. Because if God's given them 100% and going to protect them, give, give 100% to God. He'll just keep giving more, right? But Jacob can only muster, he can only squeeze a tenth out of his mouth. So yeah. it's interesting. And you wonder, did he give a tenth? 
I don't know. So anyway, that moment that that dream sequence begins his process of transformation. Up yep. to that point, he's a trickster. He's a shyster. Uh, he's um, a lot of things. But at that moment, he's transacting with God. And to me, this is how transformation works. If you, if a if a person listening to this show says, "I've heard about transformation," I feel, but I just don't know how to go about it. I can, I tell you, this is the picture. The Old Testament gives pictures, and this is it. You need to transact with God. That, that's such a key, Mark. I, you know, as you, you know, I've. Uh, you see that in the New Testament with Peter. It's it's these transactions with the Lord all through the Gospels, and he wasn't he messed up a lot in the Gospels. Yeah. The Lord had to keep admonishing him and uh, adjusting him. Sometimes he rebuked him, sometimes pretty severely. And but but he had these transactions, and the faith that he had was he kept coming to Christ. He wouldn't leave Christ. Uh, for the of course, there was one time when he uh, he did deny him, but then he came back to Christ. Uh, and and yeah. I, I stood in, in First Peter chapter two verses four and five. I, I, I love those verses uh, in regards to transformation. Coming to Christ, the living stone. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Really yeah. refers back to to to, to Bethel. That it, it's as yeah. we come to Christ and transact with Him, like you say, that's how we become the stones for God's building. And it's yeah. In, yeah. in terms, you know, we've been sharing more on the truth of justification uh, transformation, but. The, the real experience has to do with our coming to Christ and, and having these transactions, like you say. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. and you know, I love when you pointed that verse out, I thought it was excellent, because now Peter's basically realizing, I was called a stone, I got the name stone, or as a friend of mine, Tom McNaught, used to say, Rocky, he became <laughs> the first Rocky in the Rocky series. And um, now he realizes every believer's a stone. yes. Yes. We're all petrified. It's not just for Peter. We're He's not on some, we, we put him on a pedestal, but he's saying it's for every believer. You know. Yeah, so. exactly. So so this began his journey. And so I want to just, I'm going to cut. I know time is slipping away. About two minutes I left. Yeah. Talk about that. Go ahead. Two How many? Minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. So, two? Okay. Two, yeah. So I'll have to wrap this up quickly. So he then run, he goes off, and at one point, I'll give an example how he's always remembered this moment. He's, his, he marries a woman, he, he gets tricked by his father-in-law, and he's and Rachel can't have kids, the one he loved, and the other woman that he got tricked with, Leah, the sister, she's having him coming out, you know, well, she had three, I think, at that point, and Rachel says, it's your fault, Jacob. And you know what he said to her? He said, no, it isn't. He got angry. It's the only time he got angry with her. He mm -hmm. loved her. But he said, God yeah. decides who, who's Am I in the place of God? You know? right. Yeah. Yeah, you know what that means? That means that he believed what God told him that day, night in the yeah. dream. Yeah. God is in every aspect of my life. That's how we have to view our lives. I'll tell a quick story, and I'm getting near my clothes because I'm out of time. But anyway, years ago, I was in a situation. We had a small church just kind of come out of our home. We were having a home meeting, and it started to grow. And I had responsibility taking care of things uh, with the ch with church things. We were we were still meeting in the home, and we lived out in the country on a gravel road. Uh, it was a post hippie experience that I was in. But anyway, I was driving down the road one day, three kids in the back of the car, and my wife sat next to me. And I took my hands off the steering wheel, and I said, "I can't. This car won't." So my wife said, "Get your hands on the steering wheel." And I said, "No, no, no problem." I said, "This car can't wreck because God needs me too much." It was a joke. And she, she Let's laughed. be clear, that, that was a joke, it. to be clear. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go It ahead. was a joke. But, yeah, and I, and I 
the joke, if you can analyze the joke, there's a lot of layers to it. But I really did have that sensation at that point in my yeah. life. I mattered to God. And that's what I think Peter, or excuse me, Jacob had throughout. And so he mattered so much. I really wish I had got time to talk about his um, funeral because I had mentioned at the beginning. But when he died, if you want to see a picture of transformation, all of you should go read Genesis 49. Hmm. Here's a guy who's a trickster, who's a shyster, who's scared of situations, and yet he gathers around him his 12 sons, and he is a prophet, and he is a poet. This is a different man, and he, yeah. you should read it. Yeah. And, and then I had read that Dostoevsky, the Christian Russian writer, he gathered his daughters around him when he was dying and had him read The Prodigal Son, Luke 15, and he said, that, my daughters, is my life. And that's a beautiful, touching story. But Jacob's is higher. Jacob took, he didn't say, this is my life. He said, this is your life, and here's what's going to happen. He has changed, yes, and he has seen things. This, that man, he's the, and then, final thing he did, he pulled his feet up on the bed and died. So, to me, I, this is my own speculation, but I believe it was in my deepest part. He had already, he had transacted with God about his death moment. We have about 20 seconds, Mark. Go ahead. He said, I need a little more time, like I need 20 seconds. <laughs> he said to finish, and as soon as he was done with that prophecy, he died. I'm oh. done. Well, it's just a remarkable life. Most beautiful death in the whole Bible, really, because he lived such a remarkable life. That's all we have yeah, time for, sorry. Mark. But uh, but so good to have you on the program today. Praise the Lord. And uh, I hope we, we'll, we'll talk again soon. But uh, it should be an inspiration. Every believer, we need to have the same kind of experience that Jacob did in the Old Testament and Peter did in the New Testament for the building up of God's house. Yeah. Praise the Lord, Mark. Amen, brother. Amen. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Amen. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.